This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Radio podcast. This week is the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. In recognition of this date, we are sharing multiple broadcasts from the week of the attack. Today's episode contains two segments. The first is President Franklin Roosevelt's address to a joint session of Congress, the famous Day of Infamy speech from December 8th, 1941. That is followed by the NBC News broadcast of that evening. World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us continue to produce the podcast, and thanks to those of you who have already donated. Thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. President escorted by his son James, Captain Jimmy Roosevelt, in the uniform of the United States Marine Corps, followed by his military aide, Major General Edwin M. Watson, and his naval aide, Captain John R. Beardall. The other members of his secretariat are also come in with him, Stephen Early, we see. Now the President has taken his position at the clerk's desk, and in a few moments he will be introduced to this historic joint session of Congress. I have the distinguished honor of presenting the President of the United States. President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation, and at the solicitation of Japan, was still in conversation with its government 
and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. Indeed, one hour after Japanese air squadrons had commenced bombing in the American island of Oahu, the Japanese ambassador to the United States and his colleagues delivered to our Secretary of State a formal reply to a recent American message. And while this reply stated that it seemed useless to continue the existing diplomatic negotiations, it contained no threat or hint of war or of armed attack. It will be recorded that the distance of Hawaii from Japan makes it obvious that the attack was deliberately planned many days or even weeks ago. During the intervening time, the Japanese government has deliberately sought to deceive the United States by false statements and expressions of hope for continued peace. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. Yesterday, the Japanese government also launched an attack against Malaya. Last night, Japanese forces attacked Hong Kong. Last night, Japanese forces attacked Guam. Last night, Japanese forces attacked the Philippine Islands. Last night, the Japanese attacked Wake Island. And this morning, the Japanese attacked Midway Island. Japan has therefore undertaken a surprise offensive extending throughout the Pacific area. The facts of yesterday and today speak for themselves. The people of the United States have already formed their opinions and well understand the implications to the very life and safety of our nation. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense, but always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might 
will win through to absolute victory. the will of the Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the uttermost, but will make it very certain that this form of treachery shall never again endanger us. Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph so help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Because the makers of Alka-Seltzer and one of day brand vitamin tablets want to bring you as much news as possible during their period tonight, they have requested that all commercial announcements be eliminated. So, back to the newsroom. But only for a moment. We switch in turn to Earl Godwin in the newsroom in Washington. And good evening, folks. Why was the American fleet raided and warships knocked out? A stronghold punctured, 3,000 Americans killed or wounded in one of our strongest points. Many people in Congress and some places else want to know, Representative Dingell of Michigan will ask why tomorrow in a rather formal manner with the court march marshal touches. I talked to Dingell not five minutes ago. He said that the battle wagons had been tied up for weekends with not enough men on them or not enough steam up to get out and man them. There were not enough men to man the the air the aircraft guns either on the ships or in the air corps, and he wants to say that he thinks that we were caught off guard, if not asleep. Why were the men not prepared to meet this raid far out at sea? He's going to ask or suggest or demand court martial proceedings against five top army and navy commanders, including Admiral Husband E. Kimmel. Commander-in-Chief of the U.S. Fleet for the naval debacle, as he calls it, at Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. He says, told me tonight that he was groping for information and that if the House did not, if the Army and Navy did not comply with his suggestion that he would introduce a formal resolution for a court-martial later in the week. Well, that's rather startling news because up to that time, everything seemed to be going along happily. Never, there never was any doubt in the minds of competent Washington observers that this country, this government, Congress would declare war on Japan with the greatest possible speed and complete unanimity. The fact that Jeanette Rankin of Montana spoiled the vote with what some of her colleagues believe was simply maudlin sentimentality doesn't seem to count here in Washington. Sit down, sister, yelled a nearby congressman as Miss Rankin tried to interrupt the vote again today as she did in the other time she voted no in the other world war. There are other serious things to consider here, and one is that American losses in this murderous raid were possibly a bit worse than our government has let us know or even found out. The Japanese seem to claim heavy, much heavier punishment than was contained in the White House statement this morning. In addition, the president seemed to me to hint that a deep dent in our army had been affected when he told Congress in his address today these words. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. The American purpose, henceforth, I take it, is to find the Japanese fleet and send it to the bottom of the Pacific. In the vast moves of this war chessboard, our experts find the Japanese raid on Hawaii might be a diversion, plan to keep the United States concentrated in the Pacific or its own troubles. It would not be difficult now, if it was necessary, to declare war all around. The Navy invokes the Espionage Act of 1918 for secrecy. The Army does something similar. The Navy will hardly even give you the time. Steve, Stephen Early, the President's Secretary tonight, charges that Germany pushed Japan into this dastardly act, and he also denies that the least lend aid to our other friends will be affected. The stream of munitions will continue. And now back to John W. Vandercook in New York. It was a big day in London, too, today. In the House of Commons met, Prime Minister Churchill voiced the Empire's declaration of war against Japan. And our own News of the World reporters spent the day dashing from Downing Street to Commons to the BBC. 
Bentford, a member of the German high command, has appeared suddenly in Tokyo. He's there, according to this story, as advisor to the Japanese in modern air warfare. There, according to this story, as advisor to the Japanese in modern air warfare. The implications are pretty obvious if the story is true. According to the date, however, here, that that will be added to the list of fouls for which you'll have to pay the penalty. One of these days. The story about General Farnese is linked with people's speculation as to just how closely Berlin and Rome and Tokyo are really tied. Just how binding does each consider the tripartite treaty? Speculation has Berlin on the verge of declaring war with the United States. Swedish sources, some of them, think differently. There's a reported feeling there that the Axis is at least considering that Japan is the aggressor in this case, and that relieves them of answering her call to come in under the tripartite arrangement, if she calls. Obviously, for the Axis, the word aggressor can have no significance except as a means to a political end of self-interest. We return you now to New York. And now for word which will come to us directly from the Pacific area. We take you now to San Francisco. This is the San Francisco Newsroom. We take you now to Birch Island in Manila. Hello, NBC. This is Bert Silence speaking from Manila after... Hello, NBC. This is Bert Silence speaking from Manila after a very trying night under air raid conditions. We told you early this morning of the bombing of Manila, and I give you now the official report just released by the Office of the United States American Forces in the Far East. The first official reports of the bombing this morning at 3.09 a.m. at Nichols Field were released just a few moments ago by the USAFI. The official statement is as follows. In the raid on Nichols Field, which was conducted by approximately 10 Japanese bombers, one hangar was damaged and one officer's quarters were, was burned. The casualty list consisting consists of one soldier killed and 12 wounded, all Americans. At Ebert Zambales, of which the first reports were made yesterday afternoon at 5.45, it was reported this morning by Yusafi that the damage was heavy. The unconfirmed casualty list includes 100 dead and 100 wounded. This number is divided up about half and half between soldiers and civilians. One set of barracks was burned. It was also announced that due to last night's attack on Nichols Field, which is a military objective, the thickly populated district of Paranyaki will be evacuated. Paranyaki, by the way, is the, the uh, residential area surrounding Nichols Field in the southern part of Manila. In all probability, the evacuation will be carried out today. As a, as a matter of fact, early this morning, Mr. Don Bell and myself took a trip out to Nichols Field to see what we could see. What we saw mostly was an endless line of men, women, and children with caratellas, horses, and every other kind of conveyance trotting to the south of Manila, loaded with household effects, 
and evacuating from the apparent danger zone around Nichols Field. This evacuation will probably continue throughout the day and for the next few days to come. Concerning the air raids at Clark Field, as yet there are no official reports of the extent of damages or casualties sustained during yesterday's raids. In connection with the bombing attack this morning on Nichols Field, it was officially reported that a stray bomb landed near Fort William McKinley, injuring two American soldiers. The air raid on Manila last night started at 3.09, and from that time until 7.15 a.m. this morning, the air raid warning was in effect. No traffic or persons were allowed to move in the street except those carrying trespasses or special passes allowing them to do so. This morning, the dawn of the second day of the war in the Far East is absolutely clear. There isn't a, a cloud in the sky, and it doesn't seem possible that enemy planes could possibly get in to the Philippines without being sighted a long time before they were over this part of the country. So it may be that today we'll be free from bombing, at least around Manila. We hope so, and we'll be with you again later this morning. This is Bert Salen now returning you to NBC. This is NBC in San Francisco. The newsroom is turning you now across the country to New York. Almost lost in the great deluge of news today from the Pacific, one important statement has come today from Berlin, which should not be overlooked. Germany has officially admitted that Hitler's invading armies have given up all hope of capturing the Soviet capital of Moscow this year. However, it has already been suggested that Hitler may already be moving troops for some use elsewhere, in some war plan as yet unknown. Down in hastily forgotten Libya, the desert war has not stopped either. And the British tonight report a slight success. At least one-third of a Nazi tank squadron operating near Tobruk has been smashed by Imperial Armored Column. In Libya, though, it is agreed there have been no great developments. Berlin's comments tonight on the Japanese-American war lacked originality. Again, snarlingly, the Nazis repeat Senator Wheeler's famous phrase about flying under American boys. And with fumbling distortion, the Nazis still saw away at the story that somehow the wanton Japanese six-island attack is the fault of President Roosevelt. Otherwise, Berlin says only that the much-just three-par Axis tank, which now calls clearly on Germany to declare war at once on us, is being discussed. The Nazi lie factory, which official Washington itself has today branded, quote, 100% inaccurate, also makes the startling statement that there was just nothing that embattled Winston Churchill and the endlessly patient Franklin Roosevelt wanted quite so much as a war with Japan. And here is a brief dispatch from Singapore. A communique issued about 8 p.m. said that the RAF was delivering extensive aerial counter blows against Japanese transports, attempting to land troops in northern Malaya. And there you have the news of the world up to this moment, brought to you by the makers of Alpha Seltzer, who have dispensed with their commercial announcements today in order to bring you as much news as is possible during their broadcast period. This is John W. Vandercook saying good night until this same hour tomorrow evening.
the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company. Thank mm-hmm. you.